Welcome to Message Received. In this longer episode, Tim and Natalie meet with Cecile Bastien-Remy, where they discuss Cecile's perspective on resilience. They also explore applied, authentic communication and coaching. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Message Received. I'm Tim. I'm one of your co-hosts, along here with Natalie Eifert and our very special guest. Natalie, can you introduce our guest? Sure. Today, we are lucky to have Cécile Bastien-Rémy with us, who I discovered through a TED Talk two years ago. For anyone who has not watched the TED Talk, you must go, maybe put go on pause and watch the talk and then come back and keep listening. It's a phenomenal story. Cécile, do you want to say a couple of words about you and tell us about your journey so far and uh, what brings us here? Thank you, first of all, for having me. It's always a pleasure to meet new people and talk about what I love the most, which is resilience. But we'll come back to that later on. So today, I can confidently say that communication is my business. I'm a corporate communication training. I provide speech coaching presentation skills, of course. I write speech for people as well. Uh, I happen to be a teacher as well on applied communication in the Swiss business school in Kloten, very close to Zurich. I'm helping bachelor degrees getting ready into the communication game because I don't think it's enough. I'm actually currently writing a book as well right now on authentic communication. And if I don't teach, coach, train or write, I'm also a keynote speaker. And that links back to a more personal aspect of my life. I've been invited on the beautiful TEDx stage of Politecnico di Torino to talk about resilience. And that's something I'm not specialized in resilience. I have a very personal approach to it. And it's through my own personal introspection that I created a format and articulated a format that I thought could be helpful for the audience that is kindly listening to um, my speeches. I think we have at least 10,000 directions that we could take this conversation because it's so interesting what you're doing. We obviously, as audience, as message received, our listeners know we're obsessed with communication, presentation skills, connecting with an audience, and we could have a whole discussion there but it's actually your resilience topic that you present so powerfully in the TED Talk and that we'd like to explore that. And I'm sure through the conversation, some links to coaching specifically, because I think a lot of what we do as presenter coaches is we do help people uh, be resilient in the face of the fear many have of the stage. And uh, I'm sure we'll we'll naturally bring that back into the conversation conversation. So resilience is a big word out in the marketplace right now on social media for good reason, especially in the pandemic. We're all feeling like we need more of it, but I'm not sure we agree on what it means or or we even know what it means. So how do you define resilience? I like to make an analogy, you know, with resilience and to, to explain it. So if you look at the dictionary, it tells you it's your capacity to overcome a challenge. But that doesn't give enough information, I think, about the full journey that resilience can be. 
And I like to invite you to close your eyes and imagine that you are in deep water. You're in the middle of the ocean. You're absolutely exhausted and you start coming all the way down. So all the way down is, is you know, the descent is really painful. You have the mass of water crushing your skull and, and your lungs. It's really uncomfortable. And that's exactly what happens when you face a challenge. It's horrible. It's painful. It creates anxiety. There's so many negative emotions. But eventually, your feet touches the sand all the way at the bottom. And that gives you the impulse to push all the way back up and kick relentlessly to go back to the light, go back to the oxygen. That's basically bouncing back. You are recovering from a difficulty. But the thing is, I don't think this definition of bouncing back is enough because if you stay in the same place eventually you will go back and come back down and this time you will drown and you will be dead and of course the death could be metaphoric or real so i like to envisage a different preposition <laughs> with bouncing with, with the idea of bouncing and i think resilience is bouncing forward because you never come back the same person after you experience something difficult in your life and it could be anything covid i think was very difficult and also it was long it was a long stretch of time and and we went through so many phases from denial to being angry there's so many things that were happening so, so what i like about what you say is that resilience is really something personal so I think we can get a lot of advice, a guidance on how to be more resilient, but it's only when you find the tools, you know, to add to your belt to go through a challenge. It's looking for those tools, trying them, and then being able to take them when you need them the most. I love, I love this personal aspect of it. Just in short, what's my personal story that made me dive into resilience? At 21 years old, I had a car crash. And I lost a lot of physical abilities. I lost somebody dear. And I remember, you know, the, um, the doctors telling me what I had left. You know, I lost the sight with one eye. I lost an ear. So my senses were deficient. And what was really interesting was I had no idea about the process of resilience. When I found myself back in time, you know, I just didn't know if I was to if I was ever going to recover. And rightly what you said, Natalie, I have no idea how I would recover. And it's after over 25 years and, and diving into the process of writing my speech that I started to unravel all the stages that I went through. And I guess I should probably share that with the I auditors. was about to ask you what are those stages? What what can we what what can you share with our listeners today with uh, with regard to those stages? I, I like when things work in three. I mean, you know, I'm a communication specialist. Three is the golden numbers, and and that's also much easier to to remember. So to bounce forward, the very first stage. And as you can, you will hear, it's not rocket science. It's just pure common sense. But sometimes having like the itinerary already with the mind stone and having a view of what's up there is really reassuring. So let me take you through the three stages. So the first one is really to accept and surrender whatever is happening. So COVID is there. There is very little I can do. What is in my control? 
and then I can act. And what is it that is completely outside my control? And I've got to let it go. It's not an easy thing to do. It's, easy, it's easier to say than to do, but you've got to let it go. And once you've done and accepted the situation and let the, the anger, the, everything that comes, you know, with the storm of emotion that can just completely hijack your brain, then you need to make a true inventory. And I like that word inventory. The human mind is very good at looking at everything that is negative, and we need to push a little bit and stretch our mind to look at, okay, fair enough, this is what I've lost, but this is what I have. And really make an objective inventory of all the resources we have available. Personally, I lost the sight of one eye, an ear. I didn't have the, the, my capacity to finish my studies. And I lost somebody extremely dear. But I still have an, an eye working. So I'm not blind. I can still hear. I can still talk. And God, yes, I do talk a lot. <laughs> I lost somebody dear, but I was never alone. I had family and friends around me. Financially, I was, I was okay. So emotionally, yes, and physically, I needed to recover. But intellectually, I was capable. And the surrounding around me was going to do everything for me to recover. So once you have that, that's the first step. You're ready to bounce forward. So instead of drowning yourself as a victim of your own sorrow and pain, have a fair look at what you have. And I'm not even talking about gratitude at this stage, just factual things that tangible things that are around you. I have a family. I might not be, you know, some people, you know, with COVID, they might have long COVID and it's tough and it's difficult and I hear their pain. But perhaps they are not alone. Perhaps they have like, you know, access to treatment, access to health. So no, life is not perfect, but that's not the big news. So how can I make it the best with what I have? That's the very first stage. So once we've done the first step of uh, bouncing forward with the surrendering and inventory, now we need to imagine ourselves when we will be better. And it starts with having a vision of our own self-recovery throughout that vision. And it's like, you know, when you want to go on holidays, you set yourself a destination and then, you know, you start reading about the destination, you buy the plane tickets, uh, you start packing and everything. Well, it's a bit like that, you know. So once you have a vision of who you want to become, that's going to be much easier for you to take action towards it, tangible action. The beauty of that part is that by micro step, by micro action after micro action, you will discover how strong you are. You're going to find how resourceful you are as well. And also, you will discover that surrounding yourself with the right tribe is very important. I might have been a bit ruthless in, in that stage myself. Basically, at some point in my life, I decided, you know what? I want to be surrounded by people that accept my past, support my present and encourage my future because that's how I want to grow. And I will give back to that tribe with as much generosity as, as I can. And that's really how you get there. That's how you, you create that self-recovery and how you create and reach who you want to become. So you're already bouncing 
and bouncing and bouncing forward and forward and you keep advancing because it's a self-discovery you know it's it's yes it's a recovery from a pain but it's also a self-discovery of all the amazing things we have within and then that's the last part we need to talk about which is once once we know that we have bounced forward and that's a big big step and for me when I decided to really put that story into, like, create a special space, a special room in my mind or in my emotions and sorted out everything that was in that room and closed the door. And I can revisit, but I know what I will find. I will not discover new emotions. I look at it as, oh, yeah, okay, it happens. But this does not define me any longer. And for me to be able to reach that really comfortable state, I needed to be able to articulate my story. And yes, the TEDx was part of closing the door. It was completely part of the process. But I needed to revisit the story with professionals. I needed to cry more tears. I needed to make a full introspection because it would not be fair on my audience at TEDx to have an unfinished process to be displayed to them. Again, you know, whenever you present, whenever you you give a speech, it's a gift you give. And when you give a gift, it has to be with complete generosity. And for me, the TEDx was the right time, the right spot, because I really thought, and, and I still believe that if what happened to me only stays with me, what a waste of time. I've got good stuff I can share. I'm not going to keep it for myself. So I want a big international stage that's going to catch me in video. And I want to tell them what happened. Well, that's so why that's you're on, that's short. why you're on message received. I know <laughs> you want a huge audience and, and that's, I'm, I'm sure what we've got. So I'm going to ask a two part question then to bridge on exactly that. What can people do and what tools can they use? But I want to start with a question about instinct. You opened today talking about the analogy of drowning and that when your feet hit the sand, your instinct says push. Is the process that you're describing, do you believe it's instinctual that every human has this and that you were following intuition or was it intellectual? Did you make a conscious decision and know the path that you were following to bounce forward? What comes to my mind is... Once I had the accident, I had 28 hours of surgery after the accident. I'm not going to go into the details, but I was broken. The instinct of life was very strong when I was on and off before the ambulance came. So that was a good six hours on my own. And I didn't feel pain because your body is a magnificent machine that creates all the chemical stuff you need to survive. So there is the instinct. And somehow, having been through the, the automatic, instincting survival, physically, at an unconscious level, I thought, I'm going to pull through. And you know, often case I say, you know, I'm not competitive, but I like to win. And there is a little bit of me, you know, in, in that is, once I set my mind to something, it doesn't go away. And I will not stop until I reach what I've decided. 
And this is very much part of the education you have, you receive. And I have to thank my parents for that. You know, I've got a dad who is very athletic, a little less now because I'm getting really close to 50 years old and he's getting really close to 85. But, you know, he still walks, he's still very active. But I remember I'm the youngest of the family of three and we were vacationing in the Pyrenees all the time. And I remember having to get up at five o'clock in the morning with a lamp torch to start walking and we would walk the entire day. I was the youngest. It was just really difficult for me physically. I didn't have an option. My dad wanted to climb that mountains. Cecile, you're fine. You can, if you don't want to walk, fine. Just stay alone in the mountain with the wolves, the bears, the vipers. That's basically what he was telling me. So I was so scared. I was just like, dad, wait for me. But the sense of achievement once you reach the top of that mountain is amazing. So I always knew that, you know, you might go through a little pain, through discomfort, but the reward at the end is not something that pe- no one can take away, that reward. It's yours and it belongs to you. So to come back to your question, the physical, and the, and the physical instinct happened and it's true, just happened like, just like that. But the intellectual or emotional, the, um, the unconscious one, I think was, there was the seed that my education gave me that, you know, it's hard, but you can do it. The whole process that you're describing is very powerful and impactful. And I've mentioned it to you, well, offline, that um, I, I came across your TED Talk when I was in a very difficult period of my life. And it really helped me. So thank you for that. And thank you for sharing this to a wider audience, because I think People need to hear encouraging message like this and that everyone can do it. We just need to decide and potentially follow this process, follow this path. And it's possible for everyone. Thank you, Natalie, because every time I hear you help me, you have no idea how much joy you're giving me when I hear that. It, it's, I can't describe it because this is exactly, you know, you're giving me the reason of why I've been doing all that. So it's, it's really exceptional. Thank you for sharing that with me. I can call you every day to remind you, Cecilia, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go a little deeper into that. So people who are listening, who are really like, okay, I need to apply this. What are the, some of the tangible tips or techniques that you could recommend for someone to whatever of the three steps they're in to get themselves moving forward. And I would also add, what would be your advice for people who want to practice this and put this into place that what should they expect in terms of uh, duration of process? So the duration is I'm going to answer that with everybody's going to hate the answer, but I own it. It depends. It depends on the trauma that, or, or the challenge you have to recover. And in the instantaneous society we live in, because we're completely obsessed with our telephone and everything has to be quick and everything, well, you know what? Intellectually, you can understand things very quickly. The emotions, they have a life on their own, and they make the decision of how fast or quick they want to go. And that's not something you can just snap new fingers and this is going to happen. So there is going to be some discomfort. There's going to be some steps back. But that's just part of the fun. So first of all, allow time. Give yourself the time to heal. When you cut your finger, you know what to do. You go and wash the wound. 
you apply, you know, a little uh, antiseptic cream, and then you put a Band-Aid, and it takes, what, two, three days, depending. But we don't have necessarily the same tools for emotional wounds. So because it's not taught in school, allow time that, okay, your intellect will be teased by a three-step process, but your emotion will take the time they need. That's just not something you can barter or negotiate with. And then for every single step, it's, it's really, I think this is very powerful also to have gratitude on a regular basis. Um, there was some point where I recovered, but I, I was going back into a really dark place where, you know, it, it's interesting because sometimes when you have your self-recovery, it's very selfish act. But you need that. You know, when you're in a plane, they tell you, put the mask on first before you help somebody else. And that's what you need to do. You know, the cats as well, when they get hit by a car, they lay on the side of the road until they get better and then they get moving. And that's exactly what needs to happen with you. Take care of yourself first. But then eventually you will also need to find your place in the world. So the vision of you becoming who you want it to be needs to find now its place in the world. So the vision becomes like, like a purpose. I found myself back, back on my feet, back on smiling every day, back on, on being able to move, back on having a bank account that is not in the red any longer, whatever it means for you to be back but then you need to make sure to spend some time to see how this new person now fits in the world. What is my vision? What do I need to adjust? And funnily enough, for me, once I recovered, I needed to find my professional vision. And that's when I went through this kind of Gobi dessert of not knowing, oh my God, you know, what am I going to do with my life? I've got so many interests, blah, 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 blah. And then by being curious, by exposing myself by experiencing many, many different things, I ended up giving a keynote on a topic that I just wrote two books about. And I completely bombed that keynote. But when I left, I was just like, you know what? That was terrible, but I think I would like to do that more. And that's when I started to work at communication skills. I thought, if you want to become that, well, you've got no training. So again, back to micro steps. What are you going to do? So I started to join Toastmasters, whatever course was available by world-class speakers. I was taking it. I challenged myself competing. Again, you know, I'm not competitive, but I like to win. Let's say that I like to learn because that was really, really a strong learning phase. And that's how little by little I managed to create my business. No, so my vision helped me to start the resilience number two, which is very important. You leave the self-centered recovery and you move it to more altruistic energy because finding your place in the world is asking yourself the question, how can I contribute? And you can look at so many studies that were done. If you can give, that brings joy. It sounds like the experience of bouncing forward through maturity and through your these steps from the shocking accident gave you almost like a template or a prototype for doing so again when other things happen, like the, the bombed speech. Is that right? It's almost like you're going to have to repeat those same steps 
multiple times through your life because there's going to be multiple setbacks that all of us will face. It's not like you came out of your accident, bounced forward, and you've just been skipping through the daisies, happy every day, ever since, life, no problem. It's not like that. Is that right? I think life is all about contrast. Happiness exists because you've experienced sorrow and sadness. And so that's something you have to accept. The contrast of life is the essence of what we are living. So when there is an up, just make sure that there will be a down. And when there is a down, guess what? It's going up again. What I like to describe as well is after my bounce forward, I needed to bounce further. And yes, you know, I needed to tweak the vision, but I also needed more. I needed to understand what does it mean for me to have a different vision. I needed to have clarity. So the clarity, which is for me, is a very strong confidence compass. And and the clarity compass that I talk about in my course when I talk about confidence is that you know what you're capable of doing. You're very clear on your passions. You're very clear on your values because you can have a vision, but if you don't have values, that might be a bit difficult. So for me, the values, I needed to really have a strong reflection on that. What is it that I stand for and what is it I don't stand for? Because when you have a business, for instance, well, you have to be able to say yes confidently or no as confidently as yes. And it has to match who you are as a person. And by bouncing further, I realize that now I do not compromise on who I am. And that other introspection or reflection led to being authentic all the time. So the book I'm writing is not just about resilience. It's not just about bouncing forward. It's about bouncing further and owning who you are. And then, of course, you know, you have to be able to adapt, to be agile. That's probably a typical corporate buzzword we hear a lot. But agility is just simply being able to adapt to the situation. And again, I've been very lucky because my dad was working for a state-owned company and we never stayed more than three years in one place. So every three years, I needed to change city. I needed to change school. I needed to change environment. So adaptability is like completely built in my DNA. And again, you do with what you have And that brings back the loop and all those pieces of the puzzle suddenly they just imbrick themselves. And that makes the whole you, the beautiful, unique you. And you can show up into life in whatever consequences being as authentic as possible. You work in the corporate area on this topic. You help coach around resiliency. Can you share some thoughts on People who are listening, maybe they're the owner of a small company or they work in a big corporate and they have a team, maybe they're the CEO of a big company and they want to bring resiliency into their organization. Any guidance on how to do that? There is one book that I read, which I think summarizes the first step of being able to have a resilient business. And it's a book that was written by Simon Sinek and it's called The Infinite Game. And it's all about vision. And if your vision is just numbers and statistics, like we want to penetrate 3% of the market, blah, blah, blah. This is not going to make your business resilient. Because look at COVID. 
the only business that managed to pull through were the one that managed to pivot. So you have to have a vision. And I love the example that Simon Sinek is uh, illustrating his book with, which is a company that we all know in Switzerland that's called Victorinox. Do you remember after 9-11, all the lovely little Swiss knives we were bringing as a gift back home, you know, so for you, Canada, team, or everywhere else, where well, suddenly we couldn't take a little beautiful knife, you know, on the plane because it's a weapon. <laughs> so this company that probably had 95% of their product based on knives, well, that was a big deal for them. But the vision was to bring something tangible and practical for people to travel. Well, guess what they're doing right now? And you can see my whole collection of bags now for, you know, when I travel to go to training. Suitcases, bag, rucksack. I never go on the SBB train without my Victorinox bag. And that's how they managed to pivot. And that's a perfect example of carrying on serving the market with a vision and being resilient because it's not a question of turnover or, or market percentage and penetration. It's about serving your audience, serving your clients. And they bounce further because they have a vision that helped them to pivot. All they had to do is have the understanding of the needs of their clients. They had the clarity about what they were capable of doing and how. And then with creativity and adaptability, they managed to answer and create a market niche and they have very, very loyal clients. And that's how you bring resiliency and bring the bounce further, you know, concept for companies. I want to come back on a comment you made earlier. You said resilience is not taught at school. You also mentioned in the intro that you are a teacher. So are you teaching resilience to students? I'm basically teaching them applied communication, which is very much in link with how they must take responsibility of their own words. Because communication, once it's out, you can't replicate it. You can't take it back. It's interpersonal communication skills. But I have to say, when I was rehearsing for my TEDx talk, they were my first audience. And I needed to test. I think my speech is ready, but it will only be ready once the audience will tell me it's ready. And I don't want to, you know, wait the last minute and just present what I created to the audience on TEDx without having feedback already. So I think I, I managed to pick up five audiences. Uh, so there was the, the student at SBS. I had astrophysicists from ETH and Zurich universities as well. I called the program manager and I said, can I have a room with students? I bring sandwiches if they need to, but I need at least 20 of them. And they gave me some really interesting feedback just to adjust. Funnily enough, I actually gave the TEDx at university. It's the Polytechnic in Torino, which is really a beautiful university, a lot of talents there. You know, the essential in life is like you need to be able to do a budget. You need to be able to feel a tax return and resilience. None of that is taught at school. So if one day I become education minister, I will change all that. Well, at the rate you're going, I wouldn't be surprised. That's for sure. But this tie into to coaching and to preparing for presentations, I think is interesting that especially in the corporate world, the process of creating a presentation, getting feedback on it, rehearsing, making changes, getting to the dress rehearsal, further changes, getting onto the final stage, comments after, 
really can be arduous. This can be a very challenging experience. And it does require this resiliency, I think, to get through it. So when you're coaching people from a purely communication skills point of view, how does your resiliency experience come through in your coaching? It's interesting because a lot of people start requesting coaching on communication skills. And they always think that, okay, this is a feedback I received that, you know, I don't this this very well or that very well. And you always come back to what people think of themselves as a presenter. You always come back and have to make them face the self-esteem they have for themselves. So what I like to bring is first, if you want competency as a speaker, you need to own your confidence. And the confidence comes in three tiers. You need to have resilience, meaning that what is it that hurt you before that you take with you on stage that makes you freak out, panic, stutter, sweat profusely, and whatever. But you need to go back to what hurt you. It could be a teacher, a figure of authority, a grown-up, whatever. You need to be resilient on what happened in the past. Face it and make amend to it. Then you need to have, that's the second step, you need to have the right mindset. And the right mindset will be that the audience is with you. The audience is not there to judge you. And if you think they judge you, well, what do you think about them? Because what they think, seriously, it's none of your business. That, again, you cannot control. What you can control is how you prepare how you rehearse, how careful you were picking the right and advancing the right arguments, that you can do, that you can control. So that's the third step is what are the action, that what, what can your body and your mind do to make you ready? So you need to be resilient to make amends about, to leave behind the imposter syndrome, uh, that little voice that tells you you will never be good enough. Then you need to set yourself in the present moment with the right mindset And then use your body as well to adjust whatever emotion, but prepare. And prepare, that means bring competence, know what is a good presentation, because it's really easy. But no one is teaching that at school again. (laughs) What have they been doing? If it's built logically, if you cared about your audience needs, if you deliver with joy and with clarity and it makes sense for your vision, bam, that's it, you know, sparkles on stage. I don't believe people rehearsing in the head. If you do a presentation in your head, no one will hear it. So what's the point? We are also very in favor of rehearsing and we are always encouraging our clients when we're doing speaker coaching and when we're building events that or the speakers are rehearsing and it's always the yeah I, I don't really have time for that or that's okay I will do it but it, but it's really something that can make a, a huge difference right you know in, in my training I don't give them the option because that would be actually a, a fault on my part not to make them realize that the voice is something they also have to work on. The voice is part of the communication toolbox. If you just work on that structure, like craft a beautiful sentence that people will remember, but you say it in a voice that doesn't carry power, charisma was the point. And yet authentic. You know, I think it's this interesting combination of preparation, technique, 
but still being your genuine self in the moment. And, and this is paradoxical almost and requires a lot of exploration in the rehearsal studio to find this uh, combination. How can I be highly intentional about what I'm going to say, highly precise of what I'm going to say, and yet also be spontaneous and genuine and it's the real me. It sounds like you really put your trainees through the proper experience to, to get a feeling for what that's like. I don't think it would be fair otherwise. When you craft something, you may put words, you know, notes on a piece of paper, on the slides. But when you say them, and especially when it's a second or third or fourth language, sometimes that people are delivering, there are words that are tricky. I mean, for the French people, we would love to be able to get rid of all the articles that start with T-H-E, a the. You know, it's terrible for us. If you don't rehearse it, if you don't hear yourself saying it, there is one part missing. And I love as well working with videos because videos, they never lie. Everyone will say, no, I don't think I'll do it. I hate it. And I say, good. So we do it even it's even more interesting. But what, what I tell them, though, is I teach them how to watch a video. Because if you watch a video judging you with this imposter syndrome, oh, my God, I'm too shiny. My voice is too this and this and that. That's not interesting. So you have to help them understand what is it that they have to look for and just get rid of, okay, so the voice you're going to hear is the one that you never hear, first of all. So you're not going to like it. It's not interesting. However, are you bringing pause? Do you have filler words? Is it too fast? Is it too low? Are you screaming? Is the pitch too sharp? I don't know. That's interesting. Again, we are always in the dynamic of how can I serve better? How can I give better my audience? And that's why we look at videos to make ourselves better. I like that. Voila. <laughs> voila. Cecile, we're already coming to the end of our time today. I think we've covered a lot of different topics. Our podcast is called Message Received, as you know. And if there was one message that you would like our audience to take away from this conversation, what would it be? I think I would want to go back to the resilience, if you don't mind. Sure. And I would say to your audience that if life knocks you down, bouncing back is not enough. I would like to invite them to go a little further on their resilience journey to bounce forward. But, but, carry on. Don't just stop there. Because you should be ready to always bounce further and then to keep bouncing and I can guarantee to you auditors that they will have a ball. Thank you so much. This was a, a wonderful conversation, Cecile. Thank you so much, Tim and Natalie, for having me. Thank you, Cecile. Bye. Au revoir. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Message Received. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please watch out for the next one in the series, Influencing from the Stage with Sam Allen.